Wild Lives by Phonographic. Hey, and welcome to Wild Lives by Phonographic. I'm Rochelle. Thank you for joining us. Today, we're speaking to leading Australian underwater photographer, Alastair Pollock. Now, you probably already know and love his stunning shark portraits, especially if you've seen the cover of Australian Geographic's recent shark special. Over the years, Alastair's passion for underwater photography has brought him within touching distance of some of the ocean's most fascinating species, including humpbacks, whale sharks, sea lions and manatees, along with the iconic predators like great whites and bull sharks. His cage-free close encounters with great hammerheads and tiger sharks have given him an affinity with these often misunderstood predators and also challenged him as a photographer. Now, the great hammerhead shark is a pretty intriguing animal. It's found in temperate and tropical regions across the globe in both nearshore and offshore waters, with its hotspots including Costa Rica, Hawaii, Colombia and Bahamas. The biggest of all the hammerhead sharks, the great hammerhead, can weigh up to 450 kilos or 1,000 pounds, and it can be as long as 5.5 metres or 20 feet, and almost the size of a great white. But what makes hammerheads so different is their distinctive heads. Now, I always thought they were given that name because it looks like they've been whacked with a hammer right between the eyes, but in fact, it's because of the way that their heads are naturally flattened and laterally extended into a hammer shape, and that's called a cephalofoil. Experts say these oddly shaped heads and wide set eyes give them an excellent range of vision to track down their prey. And that can include everything from small fish to crustaceans to octopuses to stingrays. Actually, they're even known to use their heads to pin down stingrays against the seafloor so they can tuck into them. Hammerheads also have finely tuned sensory organs called the ampullae of Lorenzini, which helps them to detect the electrical fields created by their prey animals. This comes in particularly handy when a stingray is hiding beneath the sand. So what is it like to come face to face with a great hammerhead with nothing but your camera and a small baton to keep you safe? Alistair Pollock has had the pleasure, quite a few times actually. Welcome Alistair, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, it's good to be here. You've been diving and shooting underwater for a couple of decades now, but what made you want to photograph the great hammerhead? I think I've always been fascinated by underwater life. I remember as a kid, every time I went out in a jetty, I'd look into the water hoping to see something big swim past. And I still do that every morning when I get on the ferry to go to work. The great hammerhead, though, is one of the strangest animals around. I think it, it has this enormous dorsal fin shaped like a sickle, mm. quite similar to the dorsal fin of an orca, and this bizarre bizarre head, big eyeballs on the end, and you combine that with the huge scale of it, I think it's a very interesting photography subject. Do you remember the very first time you saw a hammerhead? Yeah, the first time was on the north coast of New South Wales, a place called Seal Rocks, mm. where there's a, it's a little fishing town, and there's an island, small island just offshore, and I was snorkeling there by myself, and um, I saw what I think was a, a scallop head hammerhead so they're it's a smaller species they typically grow to about two meters there's something really awe-inspiring whenever you see a big fish particularly something as as peculiar looking as the hammerhead for me it was hammerheads in particular has always been a shark i was interested in you know draw pictures of them when i was a little kid and it was kind of like seeing a monster from the pages of one of your favorite children's books in the flesh if it spent 20 years thinking about this animal and imagining it it's an amazing experience to see it. You've actually been to the Bahamas a few times to photograph them. Where exactly do you go to do that? 
best place to see great hammerheads is just off South Bimini in the Bahamas. So Bahamas is perhaps the best place in the world to see sharks, full stop. They have um, beautiful, clear water. They've banned commercial shark fishing in the mm. entire country, which means you just have an abundance of, of sharks and different species. Bimini sits, it's quite close to the US. It's about 100 kilometres off the coast of Miami. So people do day trips in oh. the boat from the US. And if you go there from December to March, the great hammerheads gather at a spot about 500 metres off the beach of South Bimini. I think it was 10, 15 years ago, the employees from the Bimini Shark Lab, which is a, a research facility on South Bimini, they go out after work in the afternoon in a little boat and chum up the water to see what came in. And they started noticing that at the beginning of the year, they were getting a lot of hammerheads coming in. Gradually, they started to get in the water with them. And over the years, there's people have started to go and, and photograph them there. So how does a typical encounter actually unfold? It starts on the boat with great anticipation. Typically, you run a, a blood burly from the back of the boat to attract the sharks and that heads down current and the sharks find that and then come up current. There's great excitement when you see one over the side and you scramble to jump in the water. Once you're in the water, they generally approach you from down current and this is common of all sharks. They'll come up against the current to your position. They can smell that's where you are. Uh, Take a look at you and then circle back around and come back from down current. So in that way, it's quite orderly. They're very graceful. They're non-threatening in their movement. They're very deliberate, confident in the water. They don't zigzag around erratically like like bull sharks. And they can turn on a very tight circle. So I think it's the enormous dorsal fin combined with having a very flexible body, but you can have this huge shark in front of you, and within half a second, it's turn entirely around to face the other way and they can swing back around and face your way again. Occasionally they'll bump into you and I think this is partly because their eyes are set so far apart. Once they come into close range with an object, it does get a bit confusing for them. I think they have a blind spot directly in front of them Mm. because of the shape of their eyes. And it's like walking into a marble table when you bump into the cephalotoilet. I always imagined it would be feel fleshy. It's actually hard as a rock. So when you're having these encounters, though, you're in a kind of an aggregation area. You have more than one hammerhead around you, don't you? Yeah, generally there'll be uh, three, four, five, have as many as seven turn up on a dive. Oh. And they're all different sizes. They have quite distinct appearances, even though they're the same species. I've had some that are almost like a shimmering silver colour, others that will be a bit more copper-toned and very distinct blotches on the body. I think they're relatively, as I said, you you feel trustworthy. They feel like trustworthy sharks compared to other species where you're quite comfortable with them having a large number of them around you, having them move behind you. When you get in, presumably, though, you have a little baton or something in case they get too close, right? Yeah, you do. You've got a a piece of PVC pipe and you use this quite a lot of shark diving and you you jam it into the sand vertically and the shark then bumps up against the pvc pipe realizes that 
it cannot go that direction and will turn its head. So it's it sounds very flimsy when you describe it in that way, and it probably is, but it, it's really just designed to be, it's just an object they bump up against and they, as soon as they touch it, they realise that there's no through way to the turn. I also have a, my camera, which is a nine-inch dome and large lights on either sides, which you can use for the same purpose. You put that in front and the shark will bump up against it. When you are with the hammerheads, do bull sharks and nurse sharks ever appear? Yeah, nurse sharks are very common in the Bahamas, and you'll generally find them lying on the bottom. They're very non-threatening. They're much smaller than, than the great hammerhead sharks. They don't get much attention. They're sort of the unloved second-class citizens <laughs> of Bahamian shark diving. Bull sharks are a different story, though. They're much higher risk than hammerheads. Although the bull sharks in the Bahamas are relatively small, generally less than two metres, they scare off the great hammerheads. And they, like a lot of other animals, uh, if you, they're very reluctant to approach you if you're watching them. So, for example, with a hammerhead, I feel relatively comfortable having a great hammerhead behind my back without me watching the shark constantly. But you would never, you could never do this with a bull shark. You have to watch them the whole time. Uh, for example, if you take your eye off a bull shark, and then look back a bit later, you'll often find that they're sneaking up into your blind spot. And this can be quite stressful if you've got a few yes. bull sharks around you at the same time. Super creepy <laughs> and scary. <laughs> now, another species that's found in the Bahamas is the tiger shark. They're loners and are fairly nocturnal. They're hunters and scavengers, and they eat everything from turtles to dolphins to other sharks. They're actual gangsters. They can grow to seven metres, so they're massive, can weigh up to 800 kilos. But you have swum with them in the Bahamas without a cage. Where you find the tiger sharks in the Bahamas, a place called Tiger Beach, which mm-hmm. is a, it's a shallow area of open ocean in the north of Bahamas. And most of the images and video that you've seen on television or in magazines of tiger sharks were captured at this spot. It's a, it's a fantastic place, photography. You've got clear Gulf Stream water. It's only five metres deep, oh. which for underwater photography is very useful because you've got lots of light. And there's a, a beautiful sand bottom there. And you can find tiger sharks there all year round. Is it a breeding site or an aggregation site or something? Is that why they're so reliable there? I don't know the reason that they're found there, but there's an abundant sea life. There's a lot of turtles there. There's a lot of dolphins. There's a lot of other fish there. I think it's just a good hunting ground for them and, and they gather there. But there's no land near nearby Tiger Beach. It's just a sort of like a sandbar. What was it like to go into the ocean with them the very first time, given their reputation as one of the most fearsome predators in the ocean? The first time with tiger sharks is certainly exhilarating. They're a very impressive predator and seeing them up close is thrilling. Um, The first time I saw them, I was very keen to get my back up against uh, a coral shelf. Mm. Uh, I was scared the first time I got in the water. I remember thinking to myself, why on earth did I come here to do this? This was a mistake. And then um, over the course of half an hour, you start to get more comfortable when you see them, how they behave, and you get a bit more comfortable around your surroundings. And after a couple of days diving with them, you do become very comfortable. But at the same time, you put the tiger shark in a similar category with the bull shark where it is a very dangerous animal so 
you never take your eyes off a tiger shark. I would be more comfortable with tiger sharks than bull sharks, but still, the, the sheer size of them, mm. their jaws are enormous, and they are quite interested in people as well. So I find they're often attracted to the electromagnetic radiation that comes off your camera. Oh. So the, the, the second time I dived with tiger sharks, I had one shark that just kept coming around and biting my camera. <laughs> so I've got little teeth marks in the front of it. <laughs> and I was sort of fighting. At this dive, Jim Abernethy, who, who is the skipper of the boat that does a lot of the tiger shark diving in the Bahamas, um, here's a rule. You can't connect your camera to your, your BCD, um, your scuba diving jacket because so many cameras have been taken by the tiger sharks at Tiger Beach where they just grab it out of the diver's hand he <laughs> doesn't want divers being sort of dragged through the ocean by, <laughs> by the shark and I remember getting there and I'd flown a long way I only had one underwater camera and I wasn't going to let the shark um, <laughs> rip it out of my hands and steal it and he, he kept coming around and doing this and I felt like there was four of us on the dive and I uh, this was I think eight eight years ago, I was the least experienced with tiger sharks and I felt like he was picking on me. He would swim <laughs> past the other divers and come up to me and look, I think, look at his own reflection in my dome port and then grab onto my camera and I'd have to try and wrestle it out of his mouth. <laughs> you do get a sense of, you know, defensiveness, but then I think when I got out of the water and thought about it, it is just their way of investigating. It wasn't attacking me uh if it decided to attack me i wouldn't be here yeah you'd have no chance if one of these fish decided to attack you it's just it doesn't have a set of hands it's all funny electromagnetic radiation coming off the camera which it detects with these ampullae of lorenzini these little dots you can see on the nose of the shark mm. and they use this to see rays under the sand and it, it wanted to know what was in my hand so it felt it with its mouth a few times i think that's <laughs> what actually happened from my perspective, I thought I was being picked on. It would have been pretty confronting for your first time, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're shooting sharks, many of the places that you'll visit around the world will feed them to attract them. It's a practice that does draw criticism. What are your thoughts on that? This is a hard one. I definitely have mixed feelings about this. Like some operations feed the sharks, others just bait. Mm. I leave a blood burly or sometimes they have fish in a box that the sharks sharks can't get at. Although sometimes the sharks find a way. I've seen fish in milk crates that were meant to be out of reach of the sharks and then a large tiger shark will just come along and rip the milk oh. crate to pieces with its jaws, wow. take the fish. So <laughs> almost all shark photography, videography is done with, at a minimum, a blood burly. Mm -hmm. um, the exception is things like whale sharks. But it... To take photos underwater, uh, you generally need to be within one and a half metres of the subject and preferably only a metre away. And if you're using a fisheye lens, you want to be even less than a metre. And sharks are way too shy to let you get that close to them without some kind of burly in the water. So mm. that is the, the, the reality, I guess, of, of mm. all the photos and videos of sharks that you see in magazines and on documentaries. And the reason you need to be so close is the visibility, even with great visibility, 
um, the light limitations, um, you just have to be very close or you get these washed out blue images. Mm. The flash of your camera will only carry about one to one and a half meters away. The key concern with the practice is changing the behavior of the sharks, making them reliant on the feeds or causing them to aggregate in areas where they otherwise wouldn't. Others have raised concerns that putting in burleys and feeding can increase the risk of sharks approaching boats and attacking people. I'm very dismissive of this. I think people have these concerns, but I haven't heard of or seen any evidence of that actually happening. Mm. I think any operation that is running a blood burley or feeding sharks needs to be supervised regularly by independent marine scientists Mm. and to ensure they're not doing any damage to the ecosystem. And this might mean limiting the number of feeds they do per annum or the number of divers or even if there are issues to stopping the practice altogether. Mm. And I think most of the, the operations I've been with, it's very typical to see this high level of scrutiny of the operators and not just in places like Australia, but Fiji and the Bahamas and South Africa where you often have scientists on the boat and they're there they get to travel for free. They piggyback off the dive operators to get access to the sharks they study. In terms of the impact on their diet, there was a lot of concern in Benga Lagoon in Fiji around the feeding of the bull sharks there. So they, they take spike biopsies of the sharks and then they can analyse what proportion of their diet is tuna, which is the mm. fish that they feed the sharks. Um, so they can get a feel for those things. But I guess in summary, I think, it needs to be monitored very carefully and independently. And if there are issues, then these operators need to change or if the changes are insufficient to address the the issues, then, then they need to disband the practice. Mm. You mentioned a few moments ago about the challenges of being a photographer and having the animals come close to you. What other kind of challenges do you face when you're photographing underwater? Yeah, I think the key challenge is, is light. Um, it's very the light is very hard underwater. You after you go down more than one or two meters, you need to bring your own lights with you if you want any color mm. or um, detail in your images. You can take photos with, at the surface, nice nice images without strobes. When you go back deeper than that, you need your own lights, and your own lights only work as I said earlier for one to one and a half meters if your subject is beyond that no matter how powerful your strobes are it's unlikely to have much of an impact so you do need to get very close uh, and even with, with very good visibility you need to be very close to the subject to to get the shot and, and that's a key challenge with sharks it's a key challenge with with all underwater photography but sharks they're wonderful subjects they generally move quite slowly allowing you to frame a nice composition I think the other challenge specific to shark photography is with tiger sharks and bull sharks, and I imagine great whites. I've never dived great whites out of a cage. A lot of times, if there's a few tigers or bull sharks or both around you at the same time, it's not always safe to look through the viewfinder. And I've Mm. seen other photographers have very close calls by looking down the viewfinder of their camera at one shark, and they're all already somewhat blinkered by their scuba mask Mm. and ignoring the other shark that's coming at them from another direction and so sometimes you do need to shoot from the hip 
And the, the benefit of that is you can frame up your composition, take the shot, and at the same time as you're taking the photo, you can have your head swiveling around, looking, trying to maintain eye contact with with sharks. And there's, there's a few dives in particular I've been on where we've had six or seven tiger sharks at once, and you, you can't really look through the viewfinder. As I said, if you're trying to maintain eye contact with a large number of sharks at once, then you have, your, your head's constantly swiveling around. <laughs> So you've spent a lot of time in the water with them, photographing them, obviously. What has all this experience taught you about sharks? It's hard not to be afraid of sharks growing up watching Jaws and other media. And sometimes if I'm on a surfboard or if I'm snorkeling by myself in murky water, I still get the creeps Mm. about some shark coming out of the... Generally, when I can't see, the clearer the water, the more comfortable I am. Mm. Um, sort of fear of the unknown. The more time I spent with sharks, the more I realised that the, the risks are seriously overblind. There's a lot of people spend a lot of time in the water with sharks around the world every day, and there's only a handful of incidents. Most of the incidents involve surfers and swimmers. It's much more rare for a scuba diver um, or someone taking photos to be injured. It does happen, but very rarely. The other point there, I think, when you are taking photos of sharks, as I said earlier, you generally need to put a lot of blood and burly into the water to get them to come closer because they're quite shy. And I I shoot dusky sharks in Manly, Mm. and I've been trying for years to get a good photo of a dusky shark, but they just will not let me get close enough to them to within that sort of one to two metre area where I can actually get a decent photo because I don't have any early so i think that the risks are overblown when i'm taking photos of sharks i try to portray them as i see them so graceful beautiful but still very powerful Mm. so i go i go out of my way to not capture the gnashing teeth killing machine shots with the jaws extended because most of the time when you're diving with sharks that's just not the experience that's Mm. not what you see i think when I, most of the places where I do dive with sharks are marine reserves. So where I've seen the most sharks, the Bahamas, where they've banned commercial fishing of sharks, Palau, where they've banned commercial fishing of sharks. Locally, the best place to see sharks is the Cabbage Tree Bay Marine Reserve down in Manly. The lack of commercial recreational fishing in this tiny little area has led to extraordinary sea life there. Huge schools of fish, loads of juvenile dusky sharks. I think this is what we need more of in Australia and around the world. More mm. of these marine reserves protected the areas where fish stocks can be replenished. The Australian Marine Conservation Society is working on this. And I think commercial and recreational fishermen will benefit in the long run because the marine reserves restock the depleting surrounding areas. And so I think it's it's the benefit not only people, the species, people who want to snorkel and dive in those areas, but but also the fishermen in the surrounding areas so you can also benefit. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Alistair. It was very awesome um, to talk to you and really looking forward to seeing pics from your upcoming trip back to the Bahamas later this year. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for listening. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Alistair's incredible work, head to alistairpollock.com or check him out on Instagram at alistairpollock. And, of course, for more wildlife news, travel, photography, etc., visit Fornographic.com. See you next time. Wild Lives by Fornographic. Follow us on omni.fm or search for Wild Lives by Fornographic on iTunes.
Subscribe today and you'll never miss an episode.